Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kinder, better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the if you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode of Ideas That Change the World, we go back to a lecture Rabbi Friedman gave at Shabbat of Clearwater, Florida about love and marriage. Good evening. So you uh, remember the song, Love and Marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. You remember. <laughs> It's a horrible song (laughs) with a horrible message. Maybe it worked in the 40s or 50s, but it is so misleading. Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Well, first of all, what an insulting comparison. Who's the horse? And also, the rest of the song goes, uh, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a horse without a carriage? (laughs) And you can't have a carriage without a horse? You can't have love without marriage? That means you have to marry everyone you love? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, is right. (laughs) (laughs) Or does it mean you mustn't love anyone you're not married to? which is also bad. So that whole song, very, very misleading. In fact, it's probably true that the one ingredient, the one factor that is destroying marriages all over the country is love. It's poison. Stop it. (laughs) Cut it out. Down with love. Up with here's, here's how it works, really. If you were to ask, is love important? The most important thing in life. The media gives the impression that it is. All you really need is love. Another wonderful song. <laughs> love will keep us together. Another wonderful song. It's so not true. (laughs) Because in the last 60 years, 70 years, every marriage was based on love. Our marriage is better now than in the days of Tevye and Golda? No, they're much worse. They're flimsy. They're scary. Love is not important. That's not the right adjective. You can't describe love as important. Love is appropriate for those who are important. Doesn't that make more sense? Mm. If someone is important in your life, you should love him. And if you don't love him, they're still important. (laughs) Maybe you'll love him tomorrow. But if somebody is not important in your life and you love him, he's still not important. 
unless we're so arrogant as to believe that when I love you, you become important. My love makes you important. As soon as I stop loving you, you're, you're trash. You're clutter. <laughs> What's love got to do with it? <laughs> so let's understand, what is a relationship? Where does love fit in? What's going on? Wouldn't it be embarrassing to have to admit that our grandparents had it right? <laughs> they knew more about intimacy than we do? That's embarrassing. <laughs> Because here we think we're so sophisticated, they were so backwards and so old-fashioned. As for example, Tevye asks Golda, Do you love me? Do you love me? And Golda says, Do I love you? Do I what? And then she goes through a whole list of things. Right? 25 years, I've whatever. Yeah. And then concludes, if that's not love, what is? what is? Now, it seems like the story is making fun of Golda. She doesn't know what love is. She's so old-fashioned. She probably married Tevya without even loving him. God forbid. <laughs> that is not the point of the story. It's the opposite. The point of the story is that Tevye was a little immature. And when he heard that his daughters are getting married out of love, he got a little confused and decided to check it out with his wife. But his wife's answer was so correct, so mature, what she was saying is this. You're asking if I'm giving you my love, if you're getting love from me. Is that your question? You have me. I am yours. I gave myself to you. Does that include love? It includes love. But it's so much more. So if I give myself to you, if that's not love, then what is? A hallmark greeting card? <laughs> a flower? A poem? I gave you myself, all of me. Here's the key. This is the, the important secret here. Intimacy means a connection between two people that transcends all things. There are relationships that are created around something. You both like pina colada and walks in the rain. <laughs> this is grounds for marriage. You both like to play tennis. <laughs> This is grounds for marriage. You both want love. This is grounds for marriage. You see, if, if you're interested in love, if you want love and you get married, 
Who are you marrying? Your spouse or the love? Or is it a triangle? <laughs> a love triangle. <laughs> there's me, there's you, and there's love. And if the love goes away, then I don't need you. So who am I really married to? Am I married to you or am I married to love? Now love may be a very lovely thing, yes. but it's not the person. <laughs> <laughs> we got one vote for love. <laughs> Two. Two votes. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's the real secret. You see, if you look through the entire Torah, God doesn't say to the Jewish people, I love you. He says, be mine, I will be yours. That's a relationship. Because it cuts past all things. There are no conditions. It's you, not something about you. You have to be in my life, not something I get from you. So if you ask your grandmother, what goes on in the bedroom? When the door closes, what happens there? And of course your grandmother said, nothing. <laughs> we go to sleep. <laughs> and you thought she was lying or being evasive, she was telling you the truth. The most profound, the most incredible, the most holy event is when you close the door and there's just the two of you. Nothing holier. So what happens in a bedroom? No thing. When you have two people who are interested in each other, not in anything, then you have intimacy. Intimacy means we have put aside all the things that we like about each other, all the things that we share, including love, but we've gotten past that. So here's how it works. Did you ever hear a mother say to her children, would you ever say to your children, you know, if you don't love me, you're not the only children in the world. Neighbors children love me. <laughs> and they're cuter than you. <laughs> no mother would ever say that because a mother does not need love from her children. She needs her children's love. It's different. If you need love, don't, don't take it from a child that's immature. If you really need love, go home to your mommy. That's where love comes from, from your mommy. If you want marriage, you have matured past the need for love, but you want your spouse's love. Why? Not because you're lovesick, not because you've been underloved, but because it's him or her. My child's love I want, because it's my child. 
I'm not looking for love in the generic. I just want their love. Why? Because they are important, not love. So between a husband and wife, I mean, listen to how dangerous this sounds. If you're looking for love from your husband, and you're not getting love from your husband, you're going to go without love? If love is your thing, the whole marriage is in danger. You now have a big condition to the marriage. Love me or... So even the expression, I love you, not so kosher. It's not even nice. Because it's a simple sentence, it only has three words. The first word is me. I. The last word you. is you. So I am very important. Love is very important. Either from you or from somebody else. <laughs> so I am not I am not negotiable. And love is not negotiable. You watch your step. <laughs> because you I can replace. That's terrible. That is not a marriage. <laughs> Down with love, one vote. <laughs> so, so the way it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to be is, I need you. The bumper sticker for, the t for tonight should be, nothing about your husband is more important than your husband. Nothing you get from your wife can be more important than your wife. So where does love come in? Here's the important thing. Love can either cement two people or break them apart. If love is a thing, all things get in the way. Anything gets between two people and it ruins their relationship. When does love actually bond you? When it is not a thing, it's just her or him. Like Golda said, if that's not love, then what is? This thing called love? If love becomes a thing, it will destroy your marriage. Your thing is each other. The result is love. But what do you love? The relationship, not the love as an object in itself. So we are not pursuing love. We're pursuing something more important. Very recently, the experts are saying, and this is, this is secular experts, they're saying that we've made a terrible mistake. All the emphasis on pleasure, the physical pleasure of, of, of sexual relationship, and how to get more pleasure and how to improve it and how to do... It's, it's, been, it's been bad advice. It has ruined relationships and marriages. Because when you get married, you're not looking for pleasure. 
You're looking for closeness. And the pursuit of pleasure has destroyed any possibility for closeness. Because it has become a performance, it's become an end in itself, and if you don't feel like you're getting the most pleasure, all of a sudden you doubt your whole marriage, maybe you married the wrong person, maybe you need therapy. It, it's terrible. So they're admitting that person gets married not in the pursuit of love and not in the pursuit of pleasure, but in the pursuit of closeness. What does the Torah say? 3,000 years earlier. Torah tells us a strange thing. God created the first human being, Adam, and this being was male and female. Weird. Don't try to visualize. <laughs> Let's just take that on faith. <laughs> Whatever it means, he was, it was male and female. Then God separated them so that you had a man and a woman. And then tells them immediately after separating them, he tells them, therefore, you should get married, cleave to each other, and become one. Now, the puzzle of why would he separate us and then tell us to become one when we were already one? The simple answer is, this oneness is so wonderful, it is so powerful and holy, that he wants us to achieve it on our own. Because when we do it on our own, it's so much more satisfying, so much more to our credit, rather than his doing it. So now on the other hand, if it's so important for us to create our own oneness, why did he create us as one and then have to separate us? This tells us all we need to know about male-female relationships. Because we know as a fact that for sexual purposes, for love purposes, you don't need a male and a female. In fact, you don't even need two people. <laughs> people love themselves quite well. <laughs> so if you're looking for love, find it in your own backyard. As all the experts say, you have to love yourself first. If you don't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. Once you do love yourself, why do you need anybody else? They'll just mess it up. <laughs> So the Torah tells us the reason men and women need each other is unique to them. It's something you cannot get any other way. What is that? The oneness of male and female that was our original truest nature. So God created a human being male and female, because that's how a human being should be. When he separated the man from the woman, that's artificial. Separation is always artificial. It's also unholy. 
all separation is unholy. Oneness is holy. Hashem Echad. Oneness is godly. Separation, ungodly. So what is the attraction of a man to a woman and a woman to a man? Love doesn't have to be a man and a woman. Sexual pleasure doesn't have to be a man and a woman. The only thing that is unique to a man-woman relationship is not closeness, as the experts are saying, but something more, not just close, one. A husband and wife become one, emotionally for sure, to the point where you cannot even imagine yourself without the other. This is you. Not a, not a dependency, an identity. This is me. Me has become an us. Now here's a big problem. In modern America, in the media, wives don't get any respect. There's no glamour in being a wife. In fact, when married women get together for an evening, what do they call it? <laughs> a girl's night out. Why? Because they want to have fun. Wives don't have fun. Wives are desperate. <laughs> so if you want to have fun, Go out with the girls. <laughs> you can't go as a group of wives. How miserable is that going to be? You can't even go as a group of women. You got to go back to being a girl. That's pretty sad. Husbands, even worse. There's no glamour in being a husband. They're the biggest losers, the biggest wimps, the biggest the muzzle. <laughs> So what happens is this, a man and a woman get married, but he has no intentions of becoming a husband, <laughs> and she has no intention of becoming a wife. They remain a man and a woman living under the same roof. And we know from experience, a man and a woman is a disaster. Because men are from Mars, you know that. <laughs> so if they're from different planets, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's why I never read the book. Because <laughs> once you say we're from different planets, I, there's nothing else you can s Don't tell me that we can work it out in 300 pages. You're not going to work it out. Men are much better off without women. Women are much better off without men. But husband and wife can't exist without each other. So what happens in marriage is like a magical transformation. He becomes a husband, she becomes a wife. Husband and wife can not only survive living in the same house, they actually thrive. But put a man and a woman into a house, what are you expecting? Men and women don't get along. That's natural. In fact, the first time when I came to Minnesota, 
46 years ago. And people started coming to me for advice on their marriage. And I'm 22 years old. <laughs> you know the questions that cross a rabbi's eyes? <laughs> so this couple come and they say, you know, we're trying to develop a relationship and it's really, it's very difficult. So we're going for therapy and the therapy is not helping. I said, let me, let me understand this in simple language. Dumb it down for me. You're trying to have a relationship, but it's difficult. Where I come from, <laughs> Brooklyn, there's a, there's a simpler way of saying it. We're trying to have a relationship, but we don't like each other. <laughs> so you're going for therapy? I've never heard of such a thing in my life. Imagine two guys had been friends, and now they don't get along. Have you ever heard that they would go for therapy? <laughs> I don't like you. Get lost. What are you going to therapy for? A man and a woman not getting along? That is so normal. You don't need therapy. When you see a man and a woman who are getting along, this, something's wrong. <laughs> One or both needs therapy. <laughs> But that's why God invented marriage. <laughs> marriage means where a man and a woman who are better off without each other become husband and wife, and now they are inseparable. In fact, halachically, according to Jewish law, when you're married, you are more related to your spouse than to your parents. It is a deeper bond, it is a greater commitment, it's a greater oneness. You owe your parents everything, but you're not one with them. With your spouse, you literally become one. When two people become one, that's the magical equation that produces number three the child. The more one the parents become, the healthier and stronger the child is going to be. When mother and father are a little uh, distant, they're, they're, they're drifting apart, the child is already choosing sides and he's not even born yet. But, but there's, there's that gap that is not very comforting to the soul of a child coming into this world. So let's look at what a relationship really is. What is the wow in the relationship? If it's about something, this relationship is doomed. Because nothing is allowed between husband and wife. It's got to be just us. Like in Hebrew, the word mezuzah, which you put on the door of your bedroom and all the other doors in your house, the word mezuzah is a strange word. I don't think originally it was Hebrew. It was adopted because it serves a great purpose. It is a combination of the words zu and ze. Zuze, male and female, he and she. And when you put a mem in front of a word, it implies comfort or naturalness like the difference between 
Holech and Mihalech. Holech means you're going. There's an effort. Mehalech means you're strolling. It's a natural. So the mem means the zoo and the zeh getting along naturally with nothing between them. So the difference between sex and intimacy, sex is something, intimacy means nothing, just us. And we are not things. A human being is never a thing. So here's what a relationship really looks like. Number one, when people ask, how do I know if I'm ready to get married? It's a good question. You don't have to want to get married. You have to believe in marriage. But how do you know you're ready? The first thing to consider whether you're ready for marriage, how generous are you? Because without generosity, nothing moves. You cannot allow another person into your life if you're not generous with your life. If you're not generous with your money, you can't support another human being. If you're not generous with your space, I mean, forget about it. Live in two separate houses. If you're not generous with your time, how is this going to work? So you have people who are generous with their money, not with their time. Take all my money, just leave me alone. I have no time. Because i got to go make more money. <laughs> time is money. Yeah. There are people who are generous with their time, but not with their space. Just stay out of my way. Don't cramp me. Don't, don't, walk, don't come into my room without telling me or without asking. Their space is sacred. They can't share it. And then there are people who are not generous with their words. They think nice. Your husband thinks you're wonderful, but he'll never say it for no particular reason. He's just not generous with words. You have to be generous or nothing will, nothing will work. Number two. Maybe even more important, you have to be respectful. This is so neglected. In all the advice columns and in all the wisdom that people spout about love more and be... Without respect, love will not survive and neither will the relationship. There's a famous expression, familiarity breeds contempt. And contempt is worse than hate, which is pretty bad. How can a couple live together for more than a year and not become familiar and that familiarity will produce contempt? How can it not happen? How can you not lose respect for each other after a year of living together? What does respect mean? Dignity. Teenagers have this concept. We're going to get married. We're in love. We can do anything. We can be sloppy. We can be ugly. We can be because love will over. <coughs> exact, exact opposite. With a stranger, you can be foolish and you can be ugly and you can lower, let your hair down and be sloppy. 
not with your spouse. With your spouse, you have to live for 80 years. For a spouse, you have to have real respect, real dignity. So between husband and wife, there needs to be a certain um, modesty where you don't intrude on each other's privacy, even though you live in the same house. You leave each other room and dignity for their own opinion, for their own needs, for their own shtick. <laughs> if, if, if somebody has a sensitive area that they don't want to talk about, you're not their psychiatrist. You don't force them to talk about it. You don't keep digging at it and poking at it. You respect it and you defend it. We don't go there. It's a sensitive area. Give people their dignity, particularly if you're married to each other. So, number one is generous, chesed. Without that, nothing happens. Number two, dignity. Don't lower your dignity and see if he can still love you. It's not nice. Uh, there was a man came to Minnesota from Russia. It's a really powerful story that um, he was like from the old school, you know, like a little bit aristocratic, a little, spoke a beautiful Yiddish. It was, it was a pleasure to talk to him. His wife developed Alzheimer's or was something. And for four years, it was really, really difficult. She passed away. And I'm sitting with him during the Shiva. And he says this. He says in Yiddish, he says, I can't say that I was a good husband. I don't know. But I'll tell you, in the difficult years, I never compromised her dignity. I never lowered my respect for her. That is awesome. So now we have two pillars on which a relationship stands. But it's still not a marriage. In order for this good relationship to be a marriage, it needs the third ingredient. And the third ingredient can actually heal the other two if they're lacking. The third ingredient is Sanctity, Kedusha. Marriage is not a human institution. Human beings did not invent marriage because it's not a good idea. It's not. It's a ridiculous idea. Which is why when you get married, you must have a sense of humor. <laughs> So I say, will you marry me and live in my house for the rest of your life? <laughs> what a ridiculous question. What are you trying to do? The only reason marriage works is because it's a divine invention, a divine institution. And the only reason we get married is because we believe that that's the way you're supposed to live not because it makes any sense at all. And therefore, love and marriage do not go together. Marriage stands on its own. Either you believe in marriage or don't go there. I mean, really, how much sense does it make? I love you. 
Oh, I love you. Okay, so we'll get married. How did that, how did that happen? We love each other, which is very nice. What do you want to ruin it by getting married? <laughs> how does it follow logically that if two people love each other, the punishment is <laughs> the price you have to pay? Who did this? It makes no more sense than to say, I love you, I love you. Okay, so we'll live in Cleveland. <laughs> What's Cleveland got to do with it? So if you believe in Cleveland, and you always wanted to live in Cleveland, and you found somebody who wants to live in Cleveland, marry them because there are very few. <laughs> I got nothing against Cleveland, I'm just using you. My wife's in the kitchen. Maybe that's why I picked it. <laughs> so if you don't believe in marriage, then don't do it. If you're not in love with marriage, don't marry. Oh, but I love him. Good. <laughs> what does that have to do with marriage? So, marriage is a sacred concept. To be married means you have to do something holy. To devote your life to one person, that is holiness. That is sacred. Actually, to share an intimate life is pure holiness. Because there are three things that God never gave away, which means it can never belong to you. Your life, my life, I call it my life, it's not mine. It's my responsibility. I'm responsible for my life, I don't own it. And why don't I own it? Because it's sacred. God never gave it away. It's like when you go to Israel for the first time and you go to the Kotel and you're so nervous because you don't, you don't feel that you really belong there. Are you holy enough? Are you allowed to touch it? Are you allowed to take pictures? You remember the nervousness? Like the first time you were intimate? And then you notice that there are people who live in Israel, they have their chair leaning back on the, on the castle and they're having their lunch from a brown paper bag and you think, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Not appropriate. What happened to the holiness? What happened to the sanctity? <laughs> life, we cannot own. That's why there's the sanctity of life. Your body is not yours. You're not allowed to harm it, you're not allowed to damage it, you have to give it back in uh, fairly good condition. <laughs> used but <laughs> not abused. <laughs> so when teenagers say, it's my body, no it's not. Some things are sacred. The third thing that is sacred is intimacy. God never gave it away. Because if that's how you make Jewish babies, this is God's business. And he will not give it away and abandon it to human beings. So we have to realize being married means you're engaged in something much bigger than the two of you. And you melt, you blend together 
when you surrender to that bigger thing. You're equally humbled by the sanctity of the relationship. A very quick story. I was a teenager standing on the street talking to my favorite rabbi in Brooklyn, a really wise man. It was a pleasure talking to him because he made sense. We're standing and talking and this young couple come over and the wife says to him, Rabbi, isn't it true you're not allowed to ladle soup out of a pot on Shabbos? Tell my husband, he doesn't know. And the rabbi goes, wait, 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 wait. Ladling, like with a ladle? She says, yes. He says, out of a soup pot? <laughs> she says, yes. While it's on the fire? Yes. On Shabbos? She says, yes. He says, that's complicated. I'll go home, I'll look it up. You call me later, I'll tell you. So they walk away. I'm staring at him. Like, Am I missing something here? You're not allowed to cook on Shabbos. We all know that. Stirring a pot on the fire is cooking. It's an act of cooking. You've got to stir the pot. So you have to take it off the fire if you want to ladle soup out of it so that you're not stirring it while on the fire. So I said to this rabbi, so wh what's complicated? Why didn't you just tell her she's right? And he said, and make a husband look bad in his wife's eye? You're not allowed to do that. That blew me away. He did it so naturally, so instantaneously, so fluidly, like it was the most normal thing in the world to do. So he makes himself look ignorant because you're not allowed to do anything to dampen the enthusiasm of a husband and wife for each other because marriage is holy. It's not just two people who happen to like each other and are sharing the rent. <laughs> it's something much greater than that. So God, knowing the nature of our relationship, introduces the law of mikvah. That once a month the woman goes to the mikvah a body of water in which she is totally submerged. And then the physical relationship that had been interrupted can start again. So for two weeks out of the month, there's no physical relationship, and then the mikvah, and then two weeks of being together. There are three liquids that are used for sacred purposes. We all know we make kiddush, on wine. So we introduce the holiness of Shabbat on wine. Yom Tov, holidays, whenever something holy is happening, we're drinking. <laughs> we have wine. By the way, you never see a Jewish wine. <laughs> there are Jewish alcoholics, <laughs> but never winos. Because we're so trained, wine Wine is for Kiddush. This is the middle of the week. You don't drink wine in the middle of the week. So if you want to get drunk, you've got to buy something <laughs> other than wine. Wine is sacred to Jews. The other is oil. 
The miracle of Hanukkah is oil. We anoint a king with oil. We anoint the Kohen with oil. Oil represents holiness. Wine represents holiness. Then there's water. Now you would think water, I mean, water is cheap. Water is free. Water is everywhere. Two-thirds of the world is water. And yet, the holiest thing that we need to accomplish, which is intimacy, is sanctified by water, the waters of the mikvah. What is the idea of submerging in water? Water is an original element. It's a pure, divine creation. Earth, water, the minerals, the simple substances of the world. In the beginning, Earth was surrounded by water, because Earth is heavier than water. Then God said, let the water separate, and the dry land should come to the surface. That was the miracle of the continents floating on water. But in the beginning, the Earth was all one solid globe submerged under water. Everything that goes back to its most natural, primitive state loses all of its damage, unholiness, corruption. When you go back to the elemental state, you become pure, because the elements cannot become impure. For example, water cannot be, cannot be polluted. You can't ruin water. You can throw a lot of garbage into the water, so when we say polluted water, we mean water with pollutants in it. The water cannot become polluted. So what do you do if water is polluted? You burn off the junk, and the water is water like it always was. That's why going to a mikveh purifies, because we are made of earth. When you submerge your body in underwater, it's returning to the primordial state. That's why a fetus develops in, in, in liquid, in, in amniotic fluid. Because Earth is first surrounded by water, then it emerges and becomes an independent being. By going to the mikveh, you're literally returning to your most humble, original, organic state. And that humility allows you to be kinder, more respectful, and more sacred. Because humility allows all good things to happen. Ego and arrogance gets in the way of all good things. So the woman going to the mikveh is experiencing a great um, a great humility, a return to the most basic condition of, of creation. The husband experiences an even greater humility. His life, his intimate life, depends completely on the woman. When she is ready, then he can have intimacy. When she's not ready, nothing happens. What could be more humble than that? So the two becoming humbled 
by the sanctity of the mikveh, by the waters of the mikveh, and by the, the purity that that restores, enables them to come back together in intimacy, not only with kindness, not only with respect, but also with sanctity. Now they're aware that they are in, in a holy condition for which they may not even be fit. And so they're thrilled that they're even permitted to engage in something so important, so holy, so great. Even if you leave God out of the picture for a moment, you are now part of this ancient chain. What you're doing is adding another link in this sacred chain. So you're connected to the past, all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's how you got here. You're adding another chain, another link. Also, when you add another link, you have just participated in something infinite. Because you have a child, the child can have a child, that child can have a child, it can go on infinitely. So you are now connected to an infinite past, to an infinite future, and you're just a tiny human being. This is humbling. So, in order to be married, here are the rules. Number one, have a sense of humor. <laughs> Realize that you're trying to do something so divine and, and you're not fit for it. <laughs> Number two, be so grateful by the compliment that God gives us by telling us that we can get married and we can become parents and grandparents. The privilege is awesome and that should humble us. And when we're humble, we can get along. You need a little more time, fine. You need a little more attention, great. I'm not stingy, I'm not disrespectful, I'm available. One final analogy. Because when I say to people, just each other, not anything from each other, they say, like women, wives used to say to their husbands, everything's good, I can't complain, you're a good husband, but I'm not sure I really have you. I'm not sure that you're really there for me. And the husbands would say, what do you want? And the wife would say, nothing. <laughs> he says, so what were you questioning about? <laughs> so no, I just, I just would like to feel like I have you. All right, so what do you want? Nothing. <laughs> so husbands get together and they say, you know, wives drive you crazy. She's out to destroy me. <laughs> what other explanation can there be? She complains about something all sour-faced and serious. I said, fine, whatever you want, I'll do it. She says, nothing. <laughs> what was that all about? Wives all get together and they say, men, they just don't get it. <laughs> and the men say, what? <laughs> what don't we get? So let me give you this analogy. It's a, it's a painful one. A man and woman are married. She married him because he was the most handsome, the most athletic, the best looking, tall, dark, and handsome. I never understood the dark part. 
<laughs> Tall, I can understand. Handsome, all right. What's with the dark? <laughs> but blonde men are no good. Anyway, so she marries this guy. He's perfect. He's perfect. And then, God forbid, he's in an accident. And he is now paralyzed from his neck down. like Superman, who fell off his horse. His wife took care of him for years. And then one day he dies. And she's all upset. And she's grieving. And she's hysterical. And you come to her and you say, what are you crying about? What have you lost? What have you gotten from him for the last 10 years? What was he good for for the last 10 years? What has he given you in the last 10 years? And she'll say, nothing. So what are you crying about? I had him. Now I don't have him. What was I getting from him? Nothing. But that's what intimacy means. Intimacy means it's not about anything, it's just about him. To appreciate that, you have to be a little bit holy. Because in a materialistic world, what do you mean just him? What's him? Does he have money? Does he have good looks? Does he have a good sense of humor? Does he help me? Does he reach a higher shelf? <laughs> Gotta be tall, right? <laughs> so what is this him? What is this her? We need to become a little more sensitive, a little more refined to be able to get past all things. Like the famous comedian who says, why do we have houses? Houses. What do we need a house for? Stuff. A place to keep our stuff. Right? And then you put a lock on the house to protect all your stuff while you go out <laughs> to get more stuff. Now you have a bigger house <laughs> with two locks on the door to protect all your stuff when you go out to get more stuff. And eventually, you've had it up to here with the stuff. You need to live a little. So what do you do? You take a little knapsack, put in the fewest items possible, and you go away from all your stuff. But then you come back to the stuff. That's marriage. The intimacy, the few moments that a husband and wife can spend by themselves, with themselves, all stuff is gone. In a bedroom, by the way, no television, ever. Because there are three partners in the birth of a child. <laughs> the mother, the father, not Jay Leno. <laughs> he has more children than anybody. <laughs> the third partner should be God. Once the kids come, it becomes harder. 
but it's necessary for the other kid, <laughs> for, for the next kid, you know, you got to, you can't sacrifice one child for another. You know? By the way, we have 14 children, thank God. And people wonder, what kind of number is 14? One more than 13. What's 14? It's a strange, round it out to 15 already. Hi, 18. <laughs> <laughs> but what's 14, right? So I got to tell you, we were actually planning to have 15. But my wife heard on the radio in Minnesota that every 15th child born in Minnesota is an Indian. <laughs> How do you raise an Indian? So anyway, <laughs> how do we get back to this ability to get past all stuff? Make the bedroom sacred. No desk, no computer, no homework, certainly no television. A bedroom is sacred. When we were growing up, we weren't allowed to even walk into our parents' bedroom, even when they weren't home which is when we did, <laughs> but we weren't supposed to. <laughs> Very disappointing. <laughs> because a bedroom should be exactly that. A place for them, no things. So grandma was right. <laughs> what happens? Nothing. Nothing. And if nothing has to happen, how can they not be happy with each other? It's not about anything, it's just having each other. If that's not love... What is? Rabbi, you, you uh, said something about the mezuzah and entering the bedroom with uh, nothing between you. Uh, obviously, you've never lived with cats. <laughs> what, what's her first name? <laughs> no, but seriously. <laughs> uh, seriously. Uh, Having a sense of humor goes along with the cats because uh, if you close the door on them, they don't let you live in peace. So we, we let them in, but there are times when we can get away from them. Got to train them right. <laughs> they should also know that a bedroom is sacred. If anyone has any questions, now is the time to uh, take the opportunity. Rabbi, thank you. You did a wonderful job. Beautiful. Good sense of humor, but also some serious notes. What do you think about uh, the languages of love and the discussion of those kinds of things? Those five languages? Yes. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's all, yeah. It's all I'm talking about the book, but I'm yeah. asking you, do you believe in there are languages that you need to be handled with each other? Yes. There are different ways of showing affection, of showing love, of showing respect, and of showing appreciation. That's all very true. But where is it coming from? 
If giving compliments becomes a project, it'll destroy everything. Because it sounds like something you just read in a book. If it's coming from each other, like instead of saying, I love you, you should actually try this. Instead of saying, I love you, you say, you, I love. You, I love. You, there's something about you, not about me. There's something about you that I love. And that's why under the chuppah, what does the groom say to the bride? The first word is at. It's not I love, I will take care of you, I promise. Stop with the lies. <laughs> just say, just say, this is about you. And I have a feeling that all the brides who ever stood under a chuppah, they heard the first word and then they didn't care what the rest was. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> what happens after that? Who cares? Another song, Rabbi. Another song. Back in the 50s, there was a movie about, a, I think it was an Amish family, an Amish family. The song was, and, and you I love. So the question is this, a guy comes, a really good psychologist, sociologist, whatever he was, gave a program in Minnesota and he showed couples how to avoid words that trigger defensive reactions, anger, resentment. Avoid those words, use these words and everything will be beautiful. It was a very good presentation, and it made a lot of sense. A woman got up at the end and said, but wait a minute, that's all good if you don't want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> but my husband comes home from work angry, he's looking for a fight. In other words, you're assuming that people want to do the right thing, and you're advising them how to go about it. How do we make sure that people want to do the right thing? In other words, all these, all these expressions, good communication, you know what good communication means? When I hate you, I can tell you in so many different ways. <laughs> I can be so convincing in, my, in why I hate you and why you're a loser. And, that's good communication. But it's bad motivation. So all the five languages are great if you're married. So sometimes I listen to husband and wife accuse each other of all sorts of horrible things. <laughs> and then they, they're exhausted and they sit back and they say, so, should we get divorced? And I say, actually, I think you'd make a good couple. You want to get married? Because <laughs> you are divorced. You never got married. This one guy was telling me, she this and she that and she always and she never and she that. And after a while I said, excuse me, who are you talking about? <laughs> and his wife was sitting right there. I said, who, who is this she? Who are you talking about? He points to her and it's her. <laughs> I said, oh, your wife? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, start all over again. This time tell me, my wife is stupid, my wife is lazy, my wife never does anything, my wife, he couldn't do it. 
He couldn't do it. He never connected to her. Or another example, a guy says to me, and I'm straight out of yeshiva and naive, and he says to me, I'm getting divorced. Ah, I don't need this. And I was like, need what? You don't need this? Well, then get rid of this. Why are you divorcing her? <laughs> I understand. You thought you would like some of this. You don't like some of this. You want to try some of that. Okay, so try some of that. But with your wife? Why are you divorcing her? She was never a her. She was a thing. She was a this. He doesn't want this. That's, that's pornography. It's an object. Huh? So, the five languages are great. Good communication skills are great. Compliments are great. You know, they say, leave little love notes around. Not if you don't love her. <laughs> Who are you fooling? It's horrible. And, by the way, this annoying habit. Okay, bye, love you. <laughs> love you. <laughs> you what? <laughs> love you. <laughs> and then a man says, I love you. What does the woman say? Love you too. <laughs> See, right away they're arguing. <laughs> really, if anyone ever, <laughs> if anyone ever says, I love you, don't say, I love you. Why do you have to start a fight over everything? <laughs> it's really insulting. When a husband says, I love you, you know it took him three years to get up, <laughs> to get up the courage, right? And he finally says something personal. He exposes himself and he says, I, I love you. And you say, okay, enough about you. Now, I, that's it. What are you changing the subject for? Draw him out. He says, I love you. Say, tell me more. So all of these things are good if you have a healthy connection. From that connection, you I'll talk to like a mensch. You, I'll give a compliment. You, I'll... But if it's not you, what, what, are you, what are you trying to do? Leaving little love notes around is not going to make a relationship. Right? So if a husband or wife comes home and they want to start a fight, like you said, if I care or she cares about me in the correct way, we should fight with them. <laughs> there are couples who stay together for just that reason. They just love... I have permission. They just love how they fight together. It works. There's a chemistry there. They try fighting with somebody else and it's... <laughs> any, any more questions? What is your... There was a first marriage it ended. And you're trying for reasons to get married again. Is there a 
big obstacle you see in today's society? Problem, advice, two cents? Yeah. One of the problems is that we are all amateur psychologists. <laughs> and it's making us crazy, pardon the expression. Every marriage is made in heaven. You never marry the person you choose. You marry the person God chooses. Because again, this is way too important for God to abandon to our whims. So he arranges every marriage. When a marriage ends in divorce, it's not because you made a mistake. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. I was speaking in uh, Colorado years ago, and I was introduced as being the father of 11 children. Then I made this wonderful speech, brilliant, fascinating, <laughs> incredible. And when I finished, this woman says, Eleven children? <laughs> she didn't hear a word after that. She says, you have eleven children? Didn't you tell her you didn't have a TV in the back? <laughs> I did it all myself. So I said, yes. And with a very straight face, I don't know what was going on, but with a very straight face, she said, do you know that some people don't have any? <laughs> and I felt guilty. <laughs> I mean, for a second. Like, what kind of chazer takes 11 kids? <laughs> I was taught to share. You take 11 and leave people with nothing? That's horrible. So for a moment there, because she was so serious, I felt terrible. But then I thought, no, wait a minute. You can't have somebody else's children. Right? For sure? I need, I need reassurance. <laughs> but wait a minute, wait a minute. If I could marry the wrong woman, if I could make a mistake and marry the wrong woman, then I'm having the wrong children. <laughs> this is somebody else's wife and I'm having his kids. <laughs> no? So if I can't have the wrong children, then I also can't have the wrong wife. So that's important. Because if you think that the first marriage failed because you didn't have your head on straight, you don't know what you're looking for, you have a habit of being attracted to losers, oh, this psych psycho babble is going to kill you. How do you dare try again? And every time I hear this, I have a habit, I'm attracted to unhealthy men. We're not talking about men, we're talking about a husband. A woman takes her husband to a therapist because she's very upset. Because every time they go out, he's flirting with the women. Bothers her. The therapist explains that she has nothing to worry about. This doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. This doesn't mean that he's about to leave you. Stop panicking. It's a man thing. 
when a man is in front of women, he needs to show off, you know, the peacock syndrome. But it's nothing, nothing. So she goes home. She gets home and she realizes, wait a minute. <laughs> I know men things. I wasn't complaining about a man flirting with women. I was complaining about my husband. A husband needs to make an impression on other women? No, he doesn't. So my husband is not a husband yet. He's still a man. I got to change that. <laughs> it's a husband and a wife, not a man and a woman. So this one woman said to me years ago, I'm trying to get married for six years. I really, I want to get married. Where are all the men? I said, that's disgusting. <laughs> you can't marry all the men. <laughs> she said, come on, you know what I mean, uh, a man. I said, you never met a man? <laughs> where, where do you live? She says, a special man. I said, you never met a special man? Okay, he's married, but he's special. <laughs> she says, no, come on, the one for me. Wow, we've come a long way in two minutes. We went from all the men <laughs> to the one for me. How do you say the one for me in one word? My husband. I'm not looking for a man, so I don't need to know where all the men are. And if you tell me men do this and men are like that and men don't care, who's talking about men? We're talking about your husband. What man is going to want to marry me with my hair? Your husband. <laughs> Only he. <laughs> you know the Shatchan in California, true story, set a girl up with a guy to go out. You know what a shatran is, right? 12 or 14. A person who gets paid for lying. <laughs> Not a lawyer. <laughs> she goes out and she reports back to the shatran that she's not interested because the guy's already going bold. Months later, the shatchan wants to set her up with another guy, but he is bold. <laughs> but she thought it would be a good idea. So she sets it up and she tells the guy, don't take your hat off. <laughs> they go out on a date. She calls them, which is, by the way, the right way to do it. Always have someone in the middle, the buffer. She calls the, the girl, and she calls the guy. How was it? Good. Want to go out again? Yep. Oh, but you told me not to take my hat off? I forgot. I took my hat off. We were sitting there for hours. I had my hat off. She says, I told you not to. You, you blew it. You ruined it. So just to be polite, she calls the girl. How was it? Good. <laughs> so you want to go again? Yeah. She says, even though he's bald? She says, he's bald. 
They are happily married. Because if it's meant to be, if it's your husband, you won't even see that he's bald. And if it's not your husband, you won't see anything good. If it is your husband, you won't see anything wrong. So, to remarry, you have to have confidence that your first marriage was not a mistake. It was too intense. Too intense. God makes these arrangements in heaven, right? Match, match made in heaven. In heaven it works. But on earth, it could be a little too ambitious. So God invented divorce, knowing that sometimes his expectations are more than we can handle. So it lasted for as long as it lasted. The children that were born had to be born. And then there's another person who is destined to be your second. No mistakes. Yeah, but I wasn't even thinking clearly. That proves it. God tricks you into a marriage. He makes you think there are things going on that are not going on. There used to be a commercial for a cigarette. Do you remember when cigarettes advertised, more doctors smoke this cigarette than all... Remember that? Uh -huh. LSMFT. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> so, there was a cigarette that advertised, come for the filter, you'll stay for the taste. A cigarette. So, come for the filter, you'll stay for the taste. God tricks you into thinking he's smart, he's great, he's good, he's... But you stay because he's yours, which is fantastic. Anything else? Yeah. What you just said made me think of another question. Because many people in this country, obviously, if you look at the stats, are divorced and then go on to be happily what? Happy human beings. Um, but the question is, when you are at that wedding ceremony, you're actually taking a vow to love, to honor, to all those good things. So one thing that Jews are really good at is guilt. And how can you, if you're carrying a little, that somewhere in a back compartment of your brain, some guilt, you took a vow, it didn't work out for whatever reason. What can you do with that? Is, can you give a little wisdom that maybe someone who might be doing that to themselves can stop beating themselves up about that? Well, first of all, we don't make vows under the chuppah. We don't promise this, that, and the other. That's non-Jewish. And when it comes to non-Jewish, this comedian says, I never understood. <laughs> the bride wears a gown. You can tell who the bride is. She's dressed differently from all the other women. But the groom, he's wearing the same tuxedo as all the other guys. I never understood why that is until I listened to the vows. 
non-Jewish vows. Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? They don't say a name. This man. Because if she says no, there's another guy, he's dressed. <laughs> he's already dressed for the occasion. You bring him in. Do you take this man? There's got to be somebody you like. <laughs> if the soup is cold more than three times in a row. <laughs> if she doesn't know how to make a chont. <laughs> Actually, if you really, if you really want to know, what justifies divorce? In principle, anything. If you don't want, you can't be forced. There's, there's no, there's no uh, domestic rape. If you don't want, it's over. But you know, people don't want, and then they do want, and you know, they were in a bad mood. Now they're in a good mood. So how do you know? when it's really over. I think the best rule of thumb is, as long as you're asking whether you need to get divorced, the answer is no. When you're not asking anymore, then it's over. And then the rabbi will help you do it the right way. So when a, when a person says, I'm, fin I'm finished, I, that's it. I'm not asking, there's no question anymore. I'm done. Then, then what is there to talk about? What is there to talk about? There was this woman who was very unhappily married. Every month she would come to me. Can I divorce him? Do you know what he did? And I said, no. This went on for years. One day she was very upset and she says, I can't, I can't live with this man. He took the car this morning without telling me. He went out of town. The roads are, are icy. He, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where he is. It's dangerous out there. I said, oh, good. Maybe he'll get in a car accident and die. She says, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting divorced. <laughs> I was expecting her to say, I wouldn't exactly hope for it, but uh, wouldn't be my fault if he... Uh, but her reaction was like, chas v'shalom. <laughs> I understand that there is a new mikveh here in town. Yeah, not far? Newish. Newish. New yeah. And you're Jewish, so it's perfect. <laughs> this one guy said, I object to you calling me Jewish. I said, what, what, what? He says, Jewish is like when something is not really tall, so it's tallish. <laughs> if it's not really blue, it's bluish. <laughs> if it's not really hot, it's hotish. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Jew. <laughs> Nothing ishy about it, which is beautiful. But there is a mikveh, and I know that in Minnesota, there are non-Jewish women 
who go to the mikveh. Because the idea is just so sensible. It's so realistic. It's so helpful. Of course, they don't make the bracha. They can't say, thank you for commanding me to do this, because they were not commanded. But they like the benefits of it. So, check it out. Even, um, even if you're not obligated today, but there's the obligation you had in the past, still waiting to be fulfilled. So at least one time, go to the mikveh. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Yes, yes. Because you still have the mitzvah. You never finished the mitzvah. So one time, after that, you don't have to go again. Also, it's magical. It has an effect on the children even after they're grown up. Because you're doing it out of re responsibility to them. So even retroactively, it has a positive effect, which is magical and, you know, like, what do we know? There was a woman who was divorced for eight years. She came to our program, to Beis Chana. And it turns out that she never got a get. You have to get a get. <laughs> get the get. <laughs> so she says, nah, nah, nah. I'm finished with him. We're divorced for eight years. It's over. I don't even know where he lives. I don't need a get. Anyway, we talked about it. And she was finally convinced to do it. She found him. She arranged it. She went and they did the get. She came back afterwards. She says, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. For eight years, I haven't even thought about this man. I'm so done with him. I'm so free of him. I'm so independent. I'm so... And yet, when I got the get, I, I, I fell apart. I fell apart. Like, now, I don't have him anymore. So, someplace in the back of her mind and heart, as long as she didn't get the get, she was bonded with him. Which makes no sense. But, God knows better. Going to the mikveh actually has this retroactive effect on the relationship that was, on the children that were born. It's an amazing thing. And it's just plain water. Well, it's rainwater that complicated how to make it. But the fact is, you're just immersed in water. But God put some magical powers in water. Water can do amazing things. Primarily because it is so natural. It's so simple. It's so organic. Right? So check it out. Check out the mikveh. Recommend it for younger people, for friends, for married, newlyweds. No one should get married without a mikveh. It's just not doable. You have to introduce marriage on a holy note and then try to maintain that holiness. Otherwise, you're good roommates. But what makes it a marriage? What makes it oneness? <coughs> so this guy is running down the street in a panic. And you stop him and you say, where are you running? He says, my wife is not feeling well. I'm going to get a doctor. So you say, oh, that's beautiful. You love your wife so much. He says, 
Did I say anything about love? <laughs> we don't get along so good lately. Would you then recommend that he slow down? <laughs> What's the hurry? <laughs> we'll have a coffee, a piece of cake. <laughs> He says, are you crazy? My wife needs a doctor. <laughs> and you say, and you say, but you don't love her. What would he say? He would say, what's, what's love got to do with it? My wife needs a doctor. That's marriage. That's marriage. And the same is true with God. You stop a Jew in Yom Kippur, sitting in the synagogue, and you say, wow, you're, you're religious. He says, no, I'm not. <laughs> Furthest thing from it. So you say, well, then you must love God. He says, I didn't, I didn't even say I believe in God. So you say, then what are you doing here? In the synagogue on Yom Kippur. He looks at you like you're crazy. He says, hey, Chem Kippur. You say, but you don't believe in God. He says, what does belief got to do with it? That's a real relationship. That's a real relationship. Our connection to God is not that we love Him, not that we believe in Him, not that we're religious. He's our God. You neglected Him a whole year. Not nice. So you show up on Yom Kippur. <laughs> so you come to the guy and you say, are you religious? He says, no. You say, well, then you're a hypocrite. If you're not religious, if you don't believe in God, you don't love God, what are you sitting here for? Jews are not hypocrites. Jews are Jewish. <laughs> it's different. Our connection to God is real real. We like him, we don't like him, we think about him, we don't think about him. That doesn't change anything. So one time a year, I mean everybody's got to call home sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting in the airport in Chicago I think it was. This guy walks over and he starts giving me a sermon. He's a missionary. He's smuggling Bibles into Haiti. <laughs> And he starts this little sermon. The Babu, I don't know why they always pronounce it that way. Whoever talks about the Bible always says Bible. <laughs> the Bible fell. The Bible is the word of God. It's the word of God. Every word is true. And he goes on and on. Pretty good. Nothing I could disagree with. And he finishes his little sermon, and then he remembers manners. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. What is your relationship with the Bible? <laughs> he used the word relationship. Uh. I'm a Kayan. So I said, my relationship? Aaron is my grandfather. Moses is my uncle. <laughs> and Miriam is my aunt. <laughs> 
his mouth fell open. <laughs> he was stunned, speechless. <laughs> and he mumbled something and he walked away. <laughs> now, the amazing thing is this. He just finished telling me that every word in the Bible is true. <laughs> Why was he so shocked? <laughs> you see, some people believe in the Bible. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> it's not a Bible. <laughs> it's not the bestseller. It's not a great book. It's a family album. It's a family album. <laughs> it's like this Israeli guy said, I come from a kibbutz. I didn't know about Yom Kippur till I came to America. <laughs> which, is, which is true. Yes. But he says, I don't understand Americans with all their questions. You're Americans with questions. Did God, was God, who's God, where's God? I don't understand you. Our people came out of the desert with five books. The Bedouins have been in that same desert for 4,000 years, not a single book. <laughs> not even a pamphlet. <laughs> he says, so as far as I'm concerned, my people came out of the desert with five books. Stop with the questions and read the book. <laughs> it has nothing to do with being religious. It's your book. Your name is on every page. Speak to the children of Israel. Tell the children of Israel. Children of Israel blew it again. <laughs> Messed up again. Your name is on every page. Read it. That's Jewish. Where our relationship with God is just us. It's not about anything. Because if it was about something, we would have given up a long time ago. Because what thing are we getting from this relationship? The answer is him. And what is he getting? Just us. With some headaches. That's a real relationship. So we should all strengthen our relationships, get connected so that we never feel alone again. Because happily married couples will admit that in a quiet moment, they feel alone, alone in the world. Because they used to have someone to live with, but that bond isn't there. They feel alone. That's terrible. Marriage means you are never alone. And that need for intimacy really does get satisfied. When you're married, you're married. It's done. It's real. Love, when do you have enough? When are you satisfied? Pleasure, sexual pleasure, when will you be satisfied? It's not a real need, so you can't satisfy it. A real need, if you take care of it, you are content, you're secure, you're satisfied. And here's how it should feel. What does it mean to be bonded? It means that when you come home after a day's work and you walk into the house and you see your spouse, you feel like you just came home. 
this is where I belong. Now I'm in my element. I don't need to be anyplace else with anyone else doing anything else. This is my place. It's powerful. But when you come home and it's just another incident and it's another... Something's missing here. When the Rebbe's wife passed away, the, the woman who worked in the house part-time was crying more than anybody expected. So somebody said to her, were you really that close with the Rebbe? She said, oh, I'm not crying for her. I'm crying for him, for the Rebbe. What is he going to do without her? She says, you don't know. I was in the house when he would come home at night with this big shopping bag full of homework of people's problems and aches and pains and suffering. And the weight of the world was on his shoulders. I saw how when he walked in and saw his wife, the weight of the world fell away. He lit up. He was home. What's he going to do without her? That's called bonded. When you see the person you really love, all your burdens become lighter. Life is good. If that doesn't happen, you need to bond. You need to get closer. And not just for closeness, but for oneness. Hashem Echad, Am Echad. We are the people of oneness. So we should all have great good news, great joy, great satisfaction in our lives, great children, and even nicer grandchildren. <laughs>